0: Hi, Jalen. Hi. Perfect. Um, So welcome to the fifth episode of Recreation Therapy, a Canadian Perspective. I'm Mary Doolitt, and today I'm joined by Jalen Layton uh, from the Journal of Therapeutic Recreation Ontario, TRO or TRO, the therapeutic recreation practice and research TRPR. She is the first guest from Ontario. A disclaimer before we start is that I'm currently working as a recreation therapist uh, with Fraser Health, and my views are my own and not a reflection of my employer. I currently have an article I worked on that is being reviewed uh, for this journal, and I want to acknowledge that uh, there's no conflict of interest. Um, as I in- inquired with Jaylin before, I invited her to be a guest on the podcast Jalyn is co-editor-in-chief of TRPR, Journal of TRO. Uh, Jalyn has been involved with the journal for the past five years and includes two volumes as an associate editor before moving into her current role, uh, where she also completed two volumes and a special edition Reflections on COVID-19 and uh, TR Practitioners. Jalyn is currently in the process of the 2022 volume that will be released in June. Jalyn lives in Alora, Ontario, which I think I know where that is, and it has a bridge, and a nice small town. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very pretty, um, and works at the University of Waterloo um, as a sessional instructor, uh, where she is also a PhD candidate um, in the Department of Recreation and Leisure Studies. Jalen completed her BA in therapeutic recreation with a minor in psychology in 2016 and completed her master's in the Department of Recreation and Leisure Studies in 2018. Jalen's master thesis was on the use of outdoor experiential therapeutic practices for inpatient mental health recovery, addictions, and trauma, uh, which has recently been published in the TRJ. And Jay Lynn is also currently a member of the TRO Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Now, when I say all the acronyms, am I saying them right? Do you go TRO or TRO? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, either or. I always say TRO, um, but yeah. It, yeah, either
0: or. And then when you refer to your journal, do you do the whole thing? What do you say?
1: I usually say TRPR. I'll, I'll okay. say it once, the full, uh, the full like,
0: Wording, but yeah, I usually will go TRPR. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for joining. We we're supposed to record last week, but um, people may have heard there was some storms in BC, and I lost power for two hours, so couldn't record. So we were scheduled pretty quick. Yes. Ah. No. Th- thank you for inviting me to be on. Yeah. Well, I'm a- talk about research, and I think you have done a lot of schooling, like back to back. Because I graduated a year after you. Yeah, I, um, I haven't taken a break.
1: I've just kind of continued to go through things. Um, so, yeah, it's been a long, long journey, um, but it's coming close to the end. I'm finally being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So um, that's a nice feeling.
0: So I didn't put down this question, but are you going to continue to teach with your PhD and do research?
1: To be honest, I am kind of up in the air. Um, I, I could see myself going down that route in terms of staying within the academy and doing um, if I can land a faculty or professorship position, um, they're very difficult to land. Um, so I could see myself going down that route if the opportunities come up or um, going more down a research route in terms of getting some sort of postdoctoral fellowship and um, working on a research project. Um, so I'm kind, of, I'm kind of up in the air, um, which seems odd considering how long I've been in school you would think at this point I would have a better idea of exactly where what I want to do
0: Um, but I'm just kind of at this point waiting to see what opportunities come up for me in the next year. And um, you did your bachelor's at Waterloo also? I did so I have yeah I am Waterloo through and through. (laughs) All the way Uh, well they should hire you as faculty then but um, (laughs) Douglas College I think looks off and on for faculty and they like PhD just FYI
1: okay well that's good to know
0: yeah okay well I'll get into the questions here I think you're three hours ahead hey
1: uh yeah so it's 8 30 here
0: okay not bad but it is a school night right it is yeah okay um when was the publication created and what uh did that process look like
1: Um, So this was something I needed to look back on and check my own facts because I wasn't involved in the original creation. Mm -hmm. Um, It was established in 2003 and it was originally called um, the TRO Research Annual. Um, And it was intended to be in a collaborative process between Therapeutic Recreation Ontario and the Department of Recreation and Leisure Studies at the University of Waterloo. Some of the original um, editors consisted, consisted of Adrian Gilbert, Sherry Dupuis, Susan Arai, Leanne Ferries, Shannon Hebelwaite, Colleen White, Carrie Briscoe, Kimberly Lopez, and Kimberly Lyons. Um, and so in 2003, it was Adrian Gilbert and Sherry Dupuis who fronted the first volume of the Tro Annual with the goal of encouraging and highlighting therapeutic recreation research in Ontario specifically. Um, the publication was meant to provide opportunities for practitioners who were working in the field of therapeutic recreation to share their work with others and hopefully encourage other practitioners to develop their own research agendas. And then in 2014, with the help of Kimberly Lopez and Carrie Briscoe, the TRO annual underwent a reinvention and it
0: became the TRPR, the Journal of TRO. Um, And right now, like I know the TRJ is getting a Canadian, I don't know, partner, sister, brother, but um, right now uh, your journal is the only Canadian one that's publishing research, right? As far
1: as I know, um, yeah, we, we, like I said, we're directly connected to Tro, um, but as far as I know, we are, we are the only journal in Ontario or Canada that kind of is therapeutic recreation specific.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's the case. Um, can you speak about your role in the journal and how you started and maybe a bit about the other or, staff or volunteers that are involved?
1: Yeah, so um, we, I started in 2018 and I served as, the, as an associate editor, which meant I was a reviewer um, for volume 13. And then in 2020, um, I started as the editor in chief, which I've done for volume 14 in okay. 2020, volume 15, which was printed in 2021. Um, as well in 2020, I had the idea of uh, putting out a special edition of TRPR that specifically looked at uh, COVID-19 reflections and how uh, practitioners working on the front lines were uh, managing the different challenges that were coming up in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then into 2021, I was joined by a good friend and a colleague of mine, Alexine Sirota, who is now the co-editor-in-chief for Um, the 2021 Volume 15 and the coming 2022 Volume 16, which is currently in progress. So I originally uh, kind of started on this team um, because my supervisor at the University of Waterloo, Dr. Kimberly Lopez, is the journal advisor. Um, So she was one of the ones that had a hand in the reinvention of it becoming the TRPR. Um, So I originally started uh, my time volunteering with it as an associate editor and then when the opportunity came up I decided to take on the editor-in-chief role um, and since then we usually recruit um, associate editors for each volume. We've had a couple associate editors that have stayed with us for a few volumes now Um. But we, we try to recruit people from different TR backgrounds, um, different TR educations who are, um, you know, quote unquote specialists in certain areas, just so that when we get submissions from different individuals in the field, we have a good range of associate editors involved in our review process that can help um, speak to different areas or contexts or uh, populations.
0: Nice. And um, why is research and recreation therapy important? And how do you think it's helping shape our profession? Um,
1: I think it, it provides an opportunity for practitioners and research to discuss what therapeutic recreation practice is and looks like and what's happening in the profession in Ontario and across Canada. Um, it, I think it, it brings a unique space for individuals to work together to reflect on their practices and engage in uh, research that works to transform the way that practices are done in the field. And alongside these shifts, um, we hope at TRPR to make research more accessible to practitioners, students, and the people whom we work with. And our goal is to reach practitioners uh, across Canada and encourage them to be more involved in in the research in our field and to promote support and encourage diverse theoretical frameworks, methodologies, and practices. And I think this is important um, for us, especially the accessibility piece with practitioners, as we feel it's really important to kind of Um, begin to build better connections or better bridges between academia and uh, TR practice, what's happening in the field. Um, Something that I've seen a lot in my own experience, and this is just something I say again from my own experience, is that there's just being a little bit of a disconnect between what's happening in the classroom and what's happening in the field. And so a journal like this, making it accessible to practitioners who are um, working on the front line, working day to day, um, invested in this type of work to have an outlet to share what they're doing or to listen or read about what others are doing um, to
0: see what works for them and what doesn't. Yeah, when I was in Saskatchewan, we had a quarterly journal club that was really good um, that we kind of went over different research. And I think also um, having research available to show your colleagues Um, and there's so much more people doing research. I don't know, you probably wouldn't have attended the ATRA, like the Alberta Therapeutic Recreation AGM, but I was at it last week, and two faculty from the University of Lethbridge, was it two, three, um, spoke about uh, research, and just gave a really good overview of sort of their process. Um, Yeah, and it's kind of, exciting you know um like it's not so difficult but it can be overwhelming to think about doing it
1: oh completely and that's something we do a lot of work with with people that are interested in possibly submitting to trpr is kind of identifying the barriers and then working through it so we usually um will run a a workshop or um present at the tro conference the annual tro conference as well Mm -hmm. on topics such as that because i think it's just like, like you said, it, it can be a very daunting and scary kind of task, but it is something that's important, we feel, to build um, resources and capacity um, and knowledge and, and collaboration to inform practice and research and education and advocacy for, for therapeutic recreation.
0: And it's overwhelming, but it's also like systematic. So you can just do it in steps and you can always come back to it. Um... Yeah, I know you guys have been super helpful with me, even with the submission part. And then, um, yeah, like our research took us two years to get it ready for publication. So you can definitely always put it down and come back to it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we we encourage practitioners to um, by the end of the review process to have like high quality, innovative papers that mm-hmm. share their TR knowledge. Um, and so our associate editors are, are really here to help that process and to make every manuscript as best as it can be. So providing that feedback that's um, very constructive and um, allows room for uh, improvement and room for growth for the people that are choosing to submit. Um, so it's just something that's really important to us.
0: Yeah, that's a nice approach. Um, so, how often annually is the journal published? It kind of sounds like it's once a year. And approximately, yeah. how many articles per publication?
1: Yeah, so we do. We submit, uh, or sorry, we have one volume annually. It is usually completed by May of every year. Um, that tro um, holds their annual conference in May or June of every year. And so our goal is always to have the journal and um, the next volume ready for that conference. So we'll often kind of advertise it at the conference or bring hard copies to the conference um, for people to purchase if they'd like. Um, and like I said, we, we will usually do a, um, some sort of presentation at the TRO conference. So we, we often like to have the journal kind of ready to go for that um, time so that we can advertise it. In terms of the articles per submission, um, it, it ranges every year. Uh, it I feel like it depends what's kind of going on in the world um, and what capacity people have to be um, engaging in research and writing um, and putting time aside. So, for example, during the COVID pandemic, we saw kind of submission go down, um, which we completely understood and kind of foresaw coming um just knowing that people didn't have that extra capacity outside of their job and their day-to-day stresses while managing um their their work on well in a pandemic um but we we like to see anywhere from six to ten is usually our somewhere in there is usually our our submissions
0: yeah i'm not sure if you were at the waterloo conference in 2016 but i was there And I definitely remember going to the table, like there's always a tro journal table.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I would have been at that one, actually, I that would have been the first year I started, but. Um, yeah I think it's just it's a really nice way to kind of reach and connect with and engage with people Um, because like you said like research and writing can be very scary and um, seem like a really big task Um, and so it's it's nice to have those kind of more um, you know informal conversations with practitioners and and getting them thinking about what their research or what their writing could look like. So we often find the tro Conference is a huge piece for us to uh, really connect with people and um, encourage them to think about uh, research and writing.
0: Yeah, nice. Um, Are you guys able to do your AGM or is it virtual like most other provinces?
1: Um, So uh, as far as I know, we are going forward with our AGM in June
0: um,
1: in person. So Woo-hoo. we will see if I know very, exciting. <laughs> um, we'll see if that changes. I'm fingers crossed that it doesn't, but um, yeah, as far as I know, that is the plan as of now.
0: Nice. Um, how can practitioners access this journal and is there any cost?
1: Yeah. So it is free to trail members, um, which I know for this podcast specifically and the audience um, is not that useful Um, To purchase a hard copy, it's $15, and you can purchase it on the TRO website, and then it will just be shipped to you. Um, Or there is a fee for an institutional access. Um, So if anyone is a part of an institution, um, it's a $100 fee for an institutional access. So that could be um, like a specific TR context um, workplace um, or an academic institution.
0: And I guess that would be access to, like, all the volumes available, like the archives? Um,
1: you, uh, you would have to double check that. I believe that would $100 would be just for one volume, but it would be available in terms of a digital link. And then that could be sent to anyone within that membership of that institution.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. Um, the journal just started to implement a new process for submission um, in September. Can you speak about uh, why that change was made and if impacts—oh, um, if it impacts reliability and validity of the articles published?
1: Yeah, so uh, we were very excited to implement this new process for submissions. Um, it's a digital platform called Scholastica. Um, it's something that I have been talking about for a couple of years and my supervisor and the journal, um, advisor, Kim Lopez has been thinking about this for a very long time. Um, prior to Scholastica, we were a, you know, pencil and pen type of review process. So as the editor in chief, um, participant individuals would send me their, uh, manuscripts, directly through my email I had a whole google drive that organized all the manuscripts I would have to anonymize them send them off to whatever associate editors I was assigning um, for that manuscript um when I got the feedback back from the associate editors I would have to collate it then send it to author so it was a lot of um It was was all on my computer, but it was a lot of tedious work for me, um, having to kind of keep track of everything and making sure I'm keeping everything anonymous um, and that people can't see the the names of the authors who are reviewing the paper and so forth. Um, So Scholastica basically does all of that for me, which is really nice. So essentially, um, authors like yourself submit to the Scholastica platform and it automatically anonymizes And then my reviewers that are currently working on this volume all have a profile on Scholastica. And so I can just go through and click, click who, and decide who I want each um, manuscript to be re- reviewed by based off the associate editor's interests um, or um, passions or experience in the field. And then it goes directly to them and they can review it right on the Scholastica platform and it will give their, uh, as associate editor, it will give them a uh, space to uh, send feedback directly to me as the editor um, but also feedback directly to the authors that will go and again it's all stays anonymous so it just it's a very it's so far that we're only in phase one of our first review process with it but so far it has been so much more time cons- um, time relieving to us, um, and just a lot easier of a process. And um, it also for us, it it, because we're continuing to grow as a journal, it just kind of um, gives us that professional edge in terms of it being a digital platform as opposed to being just a back and forth email chain. Um, so it's just nice to have everything all in one place. And it's a really easy, smooth process for us and hopefully for authors. So that's something I'll probably come asking you about once,
0: uh, once we're done all the f- reviews
1: for this uh, volume.
0: Yeah, I will say it was easy to submit. I've submitted to the TRJ before as well. Um, so, I mean, it can all be a little finicky, but yeah, um... I think the ORCID ID, and I might be saying that wrong, is like the hardest thing for people because, yeah, I have a co-author on our paper, and she was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, you need it to be a publisher, an author, or whatever. But um, what else was I going to say? Yeah, the submitting was easy. And I mean, the email's the easiest, but not for you.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And what what's nice, though, about this platform is, you know, say, for example, you decided to submit another paper next year, your profile is already there. So you just yeah. log in new submission. So it's really it's more of a front loaded um, work yeah. on the authors. Um, and then hopefully after that, it just is a little bit smoother.
0: Yeah, I would say it's pretty easy. Oh, I was also going to say that I already um, have received some feedback But I just locked myself out of the Scholastica, so I might email your team or you later to find out how to figure that out again.
1: Yeah, for sure. Email us and we will figure it out for you.
0: Um, Okay, so articles in this journal are peer-reviewed. Can you speak a bit about that process, what it entails, Um, so i.e. recruiting peer reviewers, um, who they are and what they do?
1: Yeah, so um, I know I've kind of mentioned it a couple times, but we do have associate editors with a range of experiences or knowledge in the field. Um, because we are housed out of the University of Waterloo, that's where many of our connections are. Um, so most of our current associate editors have our current or past graduate students from the University of Waterloo in the Recreation and Leisure Department. Um, Currently, we have three current graduate students and two um, past graduate students that have now moved into the field of practice and still wanted to stay involved with this process. Um, So in terms of the review process, we go through two phases. Um, Each phase will have two associate editors assigned to one manuscript. Um, We have an editor one and an editor two. Uh, Essentially, editor one takes on the role of looking at the content of the paper, um, how well it's written, um, the structure of things, whereas editor two takes on more of the formatting, um, making sure that, you know, uh, all the references are are clean um, and so forth. So they take on more of that like spelling and grammar type stuff. Um, but every manuscript will go through to associate editors' reviews. And then after phase one, those reviews will be sent back to the authors. The authors will then be given time to uh, revise and resubmit their manuscript based off the feedback from both of the associate editors. And then they will resubmit um, their their manuscript for phase two, which means it will go to the same two associate editors for a second round of revisions. Um, essentially the associate editors are just looking to see have you taken the feedback or the recommendations and kind of put it in or, or, or given us a good reason as to why you feel um, those revisions or that feedback doesn't align with the way that you want this manuscript to be written. um. But after that second round of revisions, it will go back out to authors with an accept or a reject. Um, And then once it's accepted, it will come back to me and my co-editor, where we'll go into the proof uh, process and send out proof pages to authors for that final check before we send it to uh, printing.
0: That's exciting. Um, How can someone become a peer reviewer and what qualifications do they need?
1: Um, So their best way would be to connect with me um, if they're interested in being a peer reviewer and associate editor. Um, In terms of qualifications, we don't have uh, particular qualifications. We often do like to have um, graduate students or students who just have a lot of experience um, with uh, research or writing. Um, that's kind of just something that's really important as an associate editor to be able to pick up on the referencing and the structure and the format and APA and all, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, so we do like to have experience in that capacity. Um, But other than that, we just look for individuals who have an interest in therapeutic recreation, who have experience in the field, because we recognize that this is not just all about, you know, the format and the writing, but we really want associate editors who can really speak to the content of the different manuscripts as well. So um, we just look for, yeah, as much variety in the associate editors that we can get just so that when a manuscript is submitted to me, I can look at the topic, I can read the abstract and hopefully have a pretty good person who can speak to the content and help with the structure and formatting of the writing as well.
0: So they can just Google the journal and then the contact information and contact you?
1: Yeah, yeah. My name is on the TRO website as the editor-in-chief so they can um, contact
0: through there as well. Nice. Um, so, what's the criteria for an article uh, to meet the peer review standards for publication? I guess you kind of talked about this, like APA citing and.
1: Yeah, but... the biggest thing for us is that we we wanted to contribute to the field of knowledge and practice for therapeutic recreation. So, essentially, we, we wanted to be relevant and interesting and applicable. Um, as being part of therapeutic recreation Ontario, we also. Hope that the TRPR in more broadly is a reflection of the values and missions of Therapeutic Recreation Ontario, um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, we just we do look for it to be of high quality and innovative for um, our readers and our audience.
0: So, what barriers do you think prevent practitioners from pursuing and participating in research? Um, is there a solution? Yeah, so we actually in 2015, Kimberly
1: Lopez and Carrie Briscoe, when they um, kind of reinvented T, um, TRPR from the Tro Annual, they did a research paper actually on what the barriers were for practitioners submitting and writing for academic journals. Um, some of the things that they, came, that they found in that 2015 article was um, having um, confidence in writing skills was a, was a barrier. Um, And so a solution identified for that one was to talk to others, to talk to organizations, ethics departments, and to research research. Um, Another barrier was a fear of writing. And so we would often encourage people to start small, um, get educated, read academic papers, read past TRPR um, volumes, look into different writing apps, um, connect with others who are familiar with the writing process and to create um, goals that are self-motivating. Another barrier that we have always identified is funding and resources. Um, So we often encourage people to talk to management and get them on board with um, carving out time for research and writing in their day-to-day tasks um, to collaborate with others. So we often will encourage um, practitioners, if they can, to collaborate with students or academic institutions that have uh, more means or more funds available. Um, And to create a timeline is often helpful in terms of another barrier often is time, which is one of the hardest ones I recognize. Um, And so we often will encourage, again, people to get management on board to if they can build in time for research into their programs um, to ensure that there's time carved out in their schedule for writing to advocate for standards of practice and emphasize the recognition for the organization, which is often a big one. If if an organization knows it will be recognized in research, it can be a a big plus. Um, And to include it in uh, job descriptions or performance evaluations. And again, to collaborate with others. Um, And then the final barrier that came from that project was knowing where to start. And so we'll often encourage people to find relevant material. Um, We have a ton of uh, resources and research banks on the TRO website for members um, that we encourage people to check out, Uh, networking and partnership, and again, this idea of researching research. So just looking into kind of what's going on in the current academic field
0: um, about a certain topic, if that's what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And I think grants is something that people don't pursue a lot. I know, um, so this is the second research um, article that I've worked on. And yeah, I have not even looked into grants, but Tristan Hopper, Dr. Tristan Hopper, who I worked on this article with, he um, applies for grants. And then I think, yeah, people are supportive. So Tristan, very supportive, having done research. And then when I was at Douglas College, the faculty there are super supportive um and for me the biggest thing was setting goals and setting meetings so okay we'll get this done by this meeting and then what are like you know taking minutes and then okay we accomplished this and then what do we need to accomplish for our next meeting when is our next meeting who's doing what and then sort of moves it forward
1: yeah I mean those are all great Great things and and it's helpful to have those connections and it's helpful to write with other people right because then you're not doing it all on your own you have you know you can share the workload you can bounce ideas off people it's like less isolating so I always do encourage people if they have the opportunity and if they're willing to to find people to collaborate with
0: Yeah. And then I think you don't get as stuck to like, you don't get in your head, you know, like overthink something because then you run it by someone and they're like, that's great. And you're like, okay, I was sitting on that for a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Do you see themes and types of articles being submitted? If so, what are they?
1: So we kind of break into two different manuscripts for our paper. So we have practice papers and research papers. Um, in terms of research papers, uh, I would say the biggest theme that we see is program evaluations. So we'll have people who are uh, working in the field with a, in a certain context with a certain population and they will be doing some sort of um, therapeutic recreation programming and they will do some sort of evaluation from that program and then showcase the themes or showcase the statistics of whether or not that program was useful or helpful for that context or for that population And then in terms of the practice papers, to be honest, it's a very wide range of topics. It's the practice paper is meant to be, um, it doesn't have to be research-based. So uh, some of it is kind of more um, self-reflexive work. Some of it is um, students talking about their experiences of internship. More recently, we've had quite a lot of uh, papers submitted on um, COVID 19 and the impacts it's had on different TR contexts. So it can be quite a wide range of topics. Um, we'll often encourage undergraduate students or graduate students who have a paper from, from, that they submitted to a specific class on the topic of therapeutic recreation to think about transitioning that into a um, an, a manuscript submission or like I said, with the TRO conference or any other conference that's kind of focused on therapeutic recreation will often encourage um, presenters to um, change their uh, presentation into a manuscript because oftentimes if you've presented at a conference, you have everything you need structurally to create a manuscript it's just now the time of actually writing out all the paragraphs because the structure is um so similar so we'll often encourage people in that sense too
0: so program evaluations that's super helpful and i know um evidence-based practice um is something really sought after that we learned about in school and Dr. Lauren Cripps did a presentation last year, and I forget what she calls it evidence do you know what she calls it it's not evidence based practice it's oh, evidence informed practice but. uh, But then um, at Douglas college I know the faculty talked a lot about practice based evidence so um, yeah so that sort of taking what you're doing piece and sharing it. um, So then it informs practice. And then the other piece with student research. That's really good because I know at Douglas College, everyone does a research uh, manuscript, do they? Yes, you do it in a course. And then people take a self-directed course, um, which I took and that you can work towards publication. But I know that many of the students don't move forward with publication because at that time, then you're doing your internship. And then it's summer, then you get a job and you're busy. Um, but this would be very helpful for them to hear.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it, it is a great outlet for that. And I've had quite a few students that I've had in the classrooms I've been involved in. Um, I, I mean, it helps that I'm in the classroom and kind of encouraging them. Um, but I have had quite a few students submit and, and they've really enjoyed the process. And to be honest, as a student looking for a job in the field, research looks
0: really good on a resume. Yeah, I've gone to the BCTRA research nights. And I'm like, you better just go towards publication. You think you're too busy, but just do it. Honestly, you'll think yeah. so many people who are like, oh, I could have gone towards publication or I started and then I stopped and, and they just they're kicking themselves like four years later still.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't discount the time, energy and capacity it takes to get a manuscript ready for submission. Like, it, there is a lot of time and effort that's involved, but it is it is a huge learning process. Every, every manuscript I've ever had published, it's just, it's been a learning grow growth over the course of submitting so it there's there's pros and cons obviously but it's like you said it it is something that a lot of workplaces look for that you can kind of read and conceptualize and write um in research or academic terms um, for
0: that reason so it, it can be really helpful and i think so rewarding like yeah. so meaningful the contribution to the field
1: yeah, for sure. I, one thing I always like to see at the Tro conference is when people do get a chance to read the latest volume and you know be like, "Oh, hey, you're so and so. You you wrote that paper on this program. I tried that in my space." Like that that's just such a nice feeling to know that somebody took use out of what you worked on. Um, so yeah, a lot of the authors that submit to us come back and tell us how much how rewarding of a process it was for them and how you know, nice it was to see something that they wrote in like an academic journal.
0: And I think people, once you start being involved in research and writing it and reading it, that there's certain um, researchers that you kind of align with their values and their work. So for me, like Dr. Colleen Hood, um, anything she writes I'm very interested in or... um, Dr. Colleen, lots of Colleens. Dr. Colleen Reed, um, her work um, kind of inspired my work. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, like your favorite um, author, like book author. So, Exactly, exactly. <laughs> in a, on a different level. Um, so what types of research uh, would you personally like to see more of and why?
1: For me personally, um, I... I love the research part part of things. I find that the practice papers are more relatable to practitioners. Um, And so I have always kind of liked hearing practitioners' experiences of what it's like to work in the roles that they work in um, and what challenges they face um, and how they navigate those challenges. I think The practice paper portion of TRPR offers this really unique space for um, practitioners to almost share their experiences and their stories in a very uh, informal way. Um, With research, it often comes with a lot of uh, specific guidelines or ethical adherents that you need to reach. Um, So for me, I've always just really enjoyed that more storytelling piece of things so when we did our special COVID-19 um, special edition, we we opened it up to just being reflections from practitioners and they could submit those reflections in whatever platform was most meaningful to them, whether that was art or poetry or um, song or whatever that looked like. Um, and that's just something in my own work that I've always really enjoyed kind of pushing towards. is just that making that... Um, knowledge and that experience super accessible to the individuals who would actually find use out of a lot of the topics so um, that's for me what I would like to see more um, but I think in saying that too I also recognize how important um, having research and having evidence-based practice or practice-informed
0: research and however you want to label that
1: um, how important that is to our fields.
0: And that COVID uh, edition might be a really nice like table book, you know, how Costco or Walmart or whatever, you can <laughs> make those little booklets like um, with pictures and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it just, it it gave an opportunity for practitioners to kind of just share their true raw feelings and experiences and emotions um, as we all were kind of navigating such a complex time and continue to. Um, and, and I think it's going to be really interesting to now to see how things change now that we're, well, fingers crossed, knock on wood, now that we're hopefully moving forward in a, in a good way, um, how we kind of move to back to quote unquote normal and what that looks like and what we've learned through the pandemic and how we can apply those learnings to our future practices um, specifically with the work we do, because social connection, as we have all learned in the last year and a half, is something that is really important. And, and that sense of disconnection that many of us felt for throughout the pandemic is something that's going to take a little bit of work, I think, to kind of um, massage and, and
0: get back to a very healthy way. Yes, different uh, stages of readiness, depending on what's going on for you <laughs> to get back to yeah. for sure. Um, where are authors submitting from in Canada? And are there any out of country submissions? So we
1: mainly have individuals coming from Ontario just because again we are the Journal of Tro so a lot of our advertisements go out through Therapeutic Recreation Ontario um we have we have had other authors like yourself that are not within Ontario but still within Canada um since I have been editor in chief I haven't had any submissions outside Canada um, I can't speak to all volumes that happened before me. Um, but since I've been editor-in-chief, there has been um, nothing outside of Canada.
0: Well, Tristan actually suggested to submitting to you guys. And I think he got his PhD at Waterloo.
1: He did. I, I remember Tristan. Yeah. Okay, perfect.
0: Um, so does the TRO journal publish any student studies? You kind of already talked about that. Is there anything else yeah. to say?
1: Um, We do, yeah, we just do encourage students to submit um, either like a practice paper that they worked on or a research paper. Um, The only one thing to think about that will encourage students to think about is if they are doing a research paper, um, making sure that they have the ethics clearance for it. So depending where they're working, um, they might need to apply for an ethics uh, certificate. Um, Some organizations have ethics boards that they can use. Um, or they can go through um, an academic institution. So that's the only thing to think about when submitting a research-based paper.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's one of the easiest parts of (laughs) research once you find the form. For sure. Um, How does your Provincial Association, TRO, and the National Association, CTRA, support the journal?
1: Um, So TRO is our partner. Um, they, they have always um, supported us and, and provided us a platform and a bridge to kind of do what we do. Um, so we align very much with what um, TRO aligns with. And we also have this uh, goal of uniting and advancing therapeutic recreation uh, profession by providing guidance and support for um, TRO members and other therapeutic recreation practitioners that work in the field. Um, through TRO, we do a lot of networking opportunities and educational events. Um, we tr- we try to help provide resources that help TR practitioners develop quality services and advocate to advance the profession um, in efforts to protect the rights of individuals across diverse delivery settings throughout the province. And so um, in line with Tro's vision of uh, having TR for all and their mission of leading the tr profession through growth advocacy and innovation Um, trpr we feel is another avenue to deliver those those important things to our field um, so we can continue to grow together
0: awesome and this is the last question we're we're already here amazing (laughs) (laughs) but this is so good i i've really enjoyed all the information and the insight yeah, no, uh, it's been, it's so nice to talk about these things and to kind of
1: share this more widely. Because um, like I said, I mean, it would just be great to have more and more diverse and um, different experiences from
0: across Canada to be involved in TRPR. Mm-hmm. And yeah, hopefully people listen to this podcast and then reach out. I would have done it sooner. I just had an obligation with BCTRA and then Alberta Therapeutic Recreation Association, but um, I know we've had this planned for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, yeah. Um, where do you see the profession in 10 years, and what role does the TRO Journal play in that progression? Um, I see
1: TR as um, continuing to create space of inclusivity um, for um, space for care, um, caring for all bodies. Um, and, and just being on opportunity to engage in meaningful pursuits, whatever that looks like for our individuals. Um, I also see TR as just being a space to be able to connect with and to engage with, um, individuals from all walks of life. Um, and then in terms of Tro um, and TRPR, I think the biggest thing I see that we have in that progression is just to have more advocacy for what. TR practitioners do every day. I think there um, is a bit of a misunderstanding or disconnect between um, what the role is of TR on the front line um, in different spaces. And, And so I think having more advocacy about what we do Um, And why it's important and meaningful to the care and well-being of all bodies is just something that I hope TRPR can continue to offer um, practitioners that are working in the field so that they can feel that, you know, their work is meaningful and they're not alone and um, that there's spaces for them to kind of share their experiences and hear what other people are
0: doing as well. Do you guys have anything on the CTRA website, like under resources? Like, would you ever do a partnership, um, some sort of deal for CTRA members to access the articles?
1: I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. Everything in that sense would go through Therapeutic Recreation Ontario. Um, So they would have to probably connect with the executive director through TRO um, to see um, how that works out.
0: Okay, well, uh, Tristan and I are actually presenting um, at a webinar in January for the TRO. Oh, awesome! Yeah. So, um, is there anything else you would like to share that we didn't cover today?
1: Um, I don't think so. In terms of TRPR, I just, um, yeah, it's it's great to just connect with other people and to share this. And um, I always. I always love, I mean, TR is very close to my heart. So I always just love um, having people that are interested in research and writing, but also just interested in the TR profession. Um, So it's just, it's nice to continue to advocate and hopefully we can all continue to advocate for what TR does and, and why it's important. So
0: cool well maybe i will meet you at a future uh, conference i was planning to go the, to the one in alberta in two years yeah. ago. i can't remember so whenever that one happens again hopefully i'll go to it yes well i hope to meet you in person soon well thank you very much for your time it was very nice chatting okay thank you mary okay have a good night bye you too bye